welcome to episode three of Counting Tracks here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. I know the SRD production. I'm Roger Castillo alongside Aaron Gonzalez. Hey. And Megan. Hello. As uh, we are in episode three, we're all on our platforms. So just a friendly reminder, if you can go write and review on us iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, let us know what you think. We appreciate the feedback. We're recording on Mother's Day. So for everybody who's listening to this afterwards, I hope your Mother's Day was good. Hopefully everything was great. Uh, plenty to get to. Well, this week's choice was one that I actually brought a, literally a book in for. So, Yeah, a big book. Yeah, it's a big book, and it's The Trouble Boys, which is a true story of the replacements. It's by Bob Meir. Great book. I read this probably within a day and a half after I got it. It was uh, very good reading. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a couple other replacement books out there, but this is the one that really gets to the core of the replacements, and that's today's uh, counting track choice. My turn, and I got I picked uh, 1984's let it be, but uh, before we get to let it be, there's a lot of new, a lot of news and excitement, including one that made Megan's ears perk up in an excitement, <laughs> and I was a little bit excited as well. And uh, Aaron's got some news as well with the Wu, the Wu Tang Clan, Killer Bees, y'all. Uh, yeah, I can't, can't, I can't. Well, every time I try to rap or sound like I rap, <laughs> every time I try to do like a, a rap of sound effect, sound stupid. But Aaron. What is going on with the Wu-Tang Clan? Well, with the uh, Wu-Tang Clan, Showtime started on uh, May 10th. They're running a four-part documentary series. And uh, from what I'm reading as well, you can go ahead on Showtime's uh, website, uh, you know, if you're Xfinity or any cable provider, and be able to watch all four episodes of the documentary series. But they are unveiling it week by week. And um, I had an opportunity to watch the first uh, part of the four-part series uh, last night. And it's just a a great opportunity for fans of the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, especially if you're not a fan and just have always been, you know, like, wow, what's what's that group all about? This is the documentary that tells the story. They're going to take you throughout the boroughs and be able to, you know, talk about their their beginnings as uh, MCs uh, into eventually becoming one of the most well-known hip-hop groups of all time. I mean, it's not just a name or a style of music. It's a lifestyle. You know, when you say Wu-Tang Clan uh, to many people, I mean, that just perks up their ears, you know, gets them all excited. I haven't gone past episode one yet, so I'm really looking forward to watching on and, you know, maybe after it's all done, you know, kind of recap on that. But uh, certainly, what a great documentary to start off with, uh, especially with, you know, HBO did The Defiant Ones with uh, Jimmy Levino and uh, uh, Dr. Dre. But, you know, a lot of these uh, cable providers now are starting to enter that that music game. You know, uh, Showtime is huge on to purchasing uh, documentaries um, based on bands, especially the Eagles. I don't know if any of you are uh, I, I Eagles watch. fans, but yeah, um, you know, the history of the Eagles was a fantastic, uh, long documentary about the about the uh, famous uh, California-esque uh, rock band. And, um, you know, it's just great to see something like this out there right now uh, that many people in terms of our age group uh, are, you know, can, you know, finally sit down and like, oh, wow, he did that or he did this. And, and RZA is um, probably like maybe the head narrator of the whole uh, documentary of sorts, but all everybody gets involved from Rockamon to uh, the Jizza, um, 
you know, uh, Method Man. Uh, they they haven't gotten too far into ODB, but I'm really looking forward to watching uh, more episodes as they talk about the, you know, the story of all these gentlemen. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. And yeah, and, and the thing is too, you know, Showtime has the Mike Judge show the. Um, I know what you're talking about. Well, actually, isn't that Cinemax? Is it Cinemax? Okay. Well, I know know Cinemax. Cinemax. I know Cinemax and Showtime are under the same kind of corporate ownership, I guess. I I think CBS owns a book. I'm not sure, but either way. Yeah. Yes, I know Cinemax. (laughs) I know Cinemax has that show. I don't know if you have checked it out yet, but Mm -hmm. if you're, since I know you're a fan of Beavis the Butthead, he draws the animation, he draws out tour stories, and he has people from various. uh, He's done one on Rick James and Prince. (laughs) But mainly it was focused on Rick James because Prince used to open for him in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. And then how Prince overcame Rick James is the biggest icon of yeah. that you know, of that hmm. period of time and some really cool stories. But he draws it out. There's a story about George Clinton and his rise to fame and the lucky crack rock story, which is great. It's greatly animated. And Mike Judge narrates the whole thing. And it's fantastic. And that's, that's another one that I eventually do want to talk about on here. He does a great job because it's nothing like... You still get the Mike Judge humor, but you also get his, you know, he also brings up some really obscure bands, too, but it, it gives a story for for these bands, and, and, and here's the thing about the Eagles. I know, Aaron, you're a big fan of the Eagles, and I, I watched the documentary, and I like, I don't know, the older, I've get, the older I've gotten about the Eagles, I have this strange opinion about them. I think sometimes, I think they're... Everybody talks about they're, they're the sound of Maracana, and I'm just I'm like, come on. I, I don't like they They get... It was one of those bands. I think they're they're polarizing a lot of people. I think that people there's certain people who will ride and die for them. I I, I know I came away with that documentary with Glenn Fry, rest in peace, Glenn Fry. But I came away with wow, he is he is exactly what everybody said. Like in these stories about how much you know, it's like hey, it's my way or no way at all. Him and Don Henley both. But I I think oh, Tales from the Tour Bus. That's what the show is called. The one I was talking about, Mike Judge. But mm-hmm. the Eagles, they, it was well done. And it was in the story was portrayed, but I don't know. Um, I came away with still the same opinion of the Eagles. Eh. Well, and you know what? <laughs> Certainly, um, that's what good documentaries should be able to do: is not be biased on like how they're the greatest band of all time. Um, I think that that documentary portrays those artists really came together and made that sound. Um, you know, certainly, yeah, you do see uh, a picture of. Henley and Fry, especially Fry, um, you know, being, I think, as a perfectionist, um, you know, wanting the sound to be a certain way, um, the delivery to be a certain way, uh, especially who sang the songs as well. Um, The one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I don't think they really held back on, was the relationship between Don Felder and Glenn Fry. And I think that... I think that that presented a, a, a good light of, you know, where that creativity certainly, uh, you know, be, you know, combusted at a certain point to where just as the band was, you know, coming off of their biggest album and following that up, which would be their, their last album, The Long Run, eventually, you know, you don't hear from any of the members except for their solo projects. And you see that. Glenn Fry, although had a few hit singles, as a matter of fact, John Henley is, you know, becoming like a, a superstar 
uh, male vocalist as opposed to, you know, just a member of the band. And of course, Joe Walsh was Joe Walsh. And, you know, Don Felder went on to be Don Felder. And, you know, Timothy B. Schmidt was Timothy B. Schmidt. But, um, you know, getting back to the Wu-Tang documentary, it does pick up a little bit on how, you know, you're going to hear stories about how they were at each other's throat. But in the end, when they got together, when they were on stage, when they were getting ready to make great music together, that's when all of those issues, all of those fights, all of those beefs disappear. And it's the creativity and what those guys worked on. It's been what's overdue for their first new album <laughs> in a long time, since 2006. Tool and Megan is excited. I am. Yeah, huge news for Tool fans this week. After a 13-year hiatus, we finally have a release date for Tool's new album, August 30th, 2019. Ten years of that 13-year wait was tied up in a huge legal battle, yeah. battle back and forth with insurance company. It's yep. been ridiculous, and it's not like they haven't been working on music. It's just a process, and they haven't been able to record and, and yeah, produce. Yeah, and or tour. They have toured. They've, you know? they've been they touring. Have, they've yeah. been a working band, and Maynard James Keenan himself fronts three different bands, all of which are fantastic, yeah. and owns a winery. So I do have a slight side note here for uh, Tool fans in general. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> I got to say this with a little <laughs> bit of love. But anytime anything has been posted, when like A Perfect Circle has a new album, great. And then you see about 50 comments of, well, fuck Perfect Circle, I need the Tool album. And, you know, it's just like this constant barrage of bitching about it. And honestly, <coughs> Tool is so musically sound that you need to give them the time to create exactly what we want from them and let them do their magic in the recording studio. You know, it takes Absolutely. time. It takes time to put this stuff Absolutely. together. I mean... You know, Carrie Jones and Chancellor, they're the ones that write all the music and then they ship it off to Maynard and he does, you know, the lyrical side of things. But it takes time. They're so, their music is so intricate and it just, it combines this dark underworld metal and and art rock and they just, they do it flawlessly and I just, I don't know, calm down. <laughs> I won't calm down. I will not calm down. <laughs> Don't keyboard warrior about it. And Pussifer <laughs> is awesome, too. They have a lot of really cool, intricate harmonies in it. And I, I love all of it. I'm a huge Maynard James Keenan fan. And uh, I'm very excited for the new Tool album, for sure. Well, and um, I'm sure you've seen it as well, Megan, that they, uh, were, um, they've were they been touring, obviously. And they've been doing yeah. some festivals. Oh, yeah. And which they also have... Uh, put out a couple of new songs mm. during their festival yeah, they have shows songs out. and um i i haven't watched it because i do not care for um cell phone videos <laughs> yeah. i don't i don't care for it i'd agree the I'd quality's wait for the not good i'd rather hear it from the band directly so you know i yeah i i don't care for that i'm glad if you're if you were at that show Great. I'm glad you enjoyed some new tool music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know people that are excited when when a perfect circle releases an album, but I know that there's probably ten million more people that are excited that tool is finally gonna release a new uh LP. And what would be great about that is that tool, when they start touring, uh they go really heavy. And mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if you see uh maybe in the next three years or so two maybe even three dates that the band will be swinging around the metro Detroit that would area. be fantastic but i'd have to start saving now because 200 dollars for lawn seats come on 
<laughs> that was a problem for me. And I would well, have they, loved to have seen that show. Well, they have a lot of years to make up for. I mean, but the yeah. <laughs> no, and their their works are going to be on Spotify and all that too as well. But there's no oh, set date. Yeah, there's another aspect of it. I've been you know dying for that because I listen to Spotify. I work. I work these ten hour shifts, and without those earbuds, man, my life becomes hell. So um, yeah, I listen to a lot of music, and uh, you know I can get you know the perfect circle and Pussifer fix. But Tool has nothing released on streaming yet, and when they get to that point, I will be one happy camper. <laughs> well, when they get to Amazon Music, I certainly will enjoy it for what they do, what they pack in for those albums that they have made. It's pretty incredible. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and definitely even the one thing about Tool, among everything else too, is I've, I've seen I've heard Maynard on the. The CBC George, uh, I can never say his last name correctly. Um, George Stepanopoulos. Yeah, yes, that, yeah. that gentleman. He has he hosts a show on Sunday nights. Every Sunday night from like eight to eleven, he mm-hmm. does a radio show, and he's had Manier on. He had Manier on earlier this year, and hearing him talking about the industry and everything, and, and George does a really good job with these guys. He does. He just brings something out of them, and uh, that was one of the first times I've heard actual Manier on a podcast, and so uh, well radio shows they put it, put it on the podcast eventually, so. But uh, yeah, he's been he's been busy, and he just he does a very, he's done a very good job of handling social media, including some some unsavory things <laughs> that have yep. been out there, so alleged stuff. But uh, either way, yeah, tool in August, and it's it's about damn time for people out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I go to YouTube for my tool fix if I need it. So it sounds kind of really really weird, actually, just the way I said that. But uh, either way, <laughs> um, but we move on to our lost tracks of the week. And uh, I'll start with okay. So <laughs> Megan and I uh, will will we'll text each other during the week, and you know just you know shoot the shit or whatever. And uh, we were she sent me this song, and this song it's been it's, you know it's been out. I love this song. This isn't actually the initial track I chose for my lost track of the week because this song, the artist's name is Lizzo, and she does like this hip hop pop, hip hop if you will, um, and she she does it really well. Um, actually, the song I initially wanted "Cause I Love You" is like her title track, and it really shows off those vocal chops, and it's like it's freaking astounding. But this song, "Better in Color." It is so peppy and so catchy. I mean, I'm like listening. I'm jamming to this whole album at work repeatedly this week. And this song itself, like I'm just tossing parts in the bin, dancing around. You know, it's just like, it's great. I love what she does, and I hope to hear more of her. She's been on the scene for a while, but this is her first full length album. Yeah, and it's one of those songs too that like my my, I've seen my son. This is my son. This is my son posted this song, and I didn't know what it was, and I kind of ignored it because my son listens to a lot of not really a lot of good rap. But I saw this, and then I'm like, wait, okay, Lizzo, and then I'm like, okay, put two and two together, but this, this is the other song that I really like, but I'm not, this is not my last track, but still, um, I'm sure, as as the older I get, I know there's going to be more music falls through the cracks, and we should probably probably name the segment, What Fell Through the Cracks, <laughs> right. um, but uh, this one, yeah, Lizzo has some really, honestly, this whole album is fantastic. It and, really is. Yeah, and if you have a chance to check it out, I really... I can't praise it enough, and it's stuff like this that really, you know, when people come to me and say, oh, you know, modern music has no soul, there's no passion, I gotta disagree, and if, if you really feel that way, I think you need to dig a little deeper and listen to some, some different stuff, because, yeah, what's on the radio, eh, you know, a lot of it is questionable but stuff like this and the stuff that gets hidden and you know falls between the cracks and indie artists and there's a lot of amazing music out there 
There really is. There yeah, is. And now yeah, the, you it was just got to dig deep. You and that's got to dig deep. And that's the one I was going to get to. And, and for Aaron's choice, and I like Aaron's choice because I've have I heard the song when it first came out, um, and it's a it's a name that you have maybe heard before for the older audience out there. If you guys are familiar with Bond, James Bond movies, perhaps, or just the eighties in general, and that would be one. The Gorillas featuring Grace Jones, Aaron. Yeah, Charger from their Humans album that came out back in 2017. Uh, What a a great song. And you know what? The name and then the fact that they got Grace Jones to be on there is just... uh, Oh, it just gets me giddy inside. I love it. Yeah, she's a spirit. Yeah, she is a spirit. And yeah, if you know her from James, her her James Bond appearance, uh, but you know, I've known her as being one of those avant-garde artists, and to be associated with Damon Albarn's Gorillas project, uh, and this song just fits that because I truly believe. That Grace Jones is a charger. <laughs> and, you know, the way she's playing, the, the give and take play, and just the overall um, approach to the song, it's perfect. She's also and, coming to town July 1st. Yeah. Yeah. To the Majestic. Or not the Majestic. Masonic. The Masonic. And that's going to be really, really good. I'm going to look forward to that because uh, Grace Jones is not a touring artist basically you know when when she does make her appearance it is maybe five or seven shows a year and that's it and that's even if she is going to be uh crossing the pond uh into uh, north america you know some of her shows may be more across the pond you know playing in like paris or england uh spain uh festivals but to actually have her like come to metro detroit you know and perform to do perhaps her greatest hits uh she has a lot of material and she's one of those artists that's constantly evolving so um that was one of the you know one of my uh reasons why i picked this as my hidden track of the week because it truly is hidden who listens to the gorillas uh now since you know they they're really not the uh the top uh, you know, pop group that they once were back in like maybe like um, late or early 2010s through 2000s. I mean, you had Clint Eastwood and you had um, their other album, uh, Demon Days, which was a really big one for them. But since then, you know, Al Barn, you know, he's he's not out there to make millions of dollars, and he knows that there's certainly a uh, a niche audience that will appreciate the gorillas and um you know i think bringing it up on this type of program is perfect for you to enjoy especially you know if you haven't heard of grace jones makes you want to dig a little bit further down the rabbit hole and, and check out some of her great albums yeah including this one this is a song from nightclubbing which is came out in uh, uh 1981 and this song i am familiar with pull up to the bumper and this is also, and this is again, this is in the experimentation period where you have like, a, where I guess we put her in the world music category, like Talking Heads in that period of time. Uh, talk well, considering, but I guess Talking Heads was considered world music, although I think they just took the world music sound and made it their own, yeah. or ripped it off, however you want to see fit. But um, yeah, this is her off uh, pull up to the bumper. So, um, and we'll add it to the list. By the way, all our songs, anything we feature that we can't play too long, obviously because of copyright reasons. Uh, we will feature on our Spotify list. So every single episode will have a Spotify list. So 
But yeah, she was, I mean, and also a lot of her stories go behind Studio 54. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the there's a good documentary on, on that, too. So we should do it. One day we'll do a whole show about yeah, this Yeah, you can watch it on Hulu. Yep. There's a great documentary on her career. Uh, it's not career-spanding, but... It does dive oh, into... Her? Oh, okay. I was talking about Stu 54, but I didn't know there was one about her. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there you go. See, now you know. <laughs> yeah. And her bir- by the way, her birthday, she turned 71. or se- I'm sorry, 72. And she looks amazing. Yeah, 71, 72 in, on May 19th. She looks amazing. Well, you know yeah. what? I'm a married man, but I'll tell you what. If Grace Jones gave me a look, I, I don't know. I might have to uh, <laughs> might have to run or have someone like come in between both of us because uh, that's a that's a woman that is a woman yeah i remember her in boomerang too she was uh she was quite oh she was quite the character (laughs) in the boomerang (laughs) yeah so definitely for sure uh and my my track of the week is one that um really is kind of kind of a little different than what probably different from both you guys and it's from a band called omni which they're out of atlanta which kind of seems funny because the we're the the Atlanta Hawks just played was called the Omni. The song is called Delicacy. It's on a sub pop record. Uh, this came out last month on April twelfth, and you can find it on all the um, you can find it on their sub pop singles collection series, which you know they always find do some really good stuff on here. And this has a really weird eighties sound to it. So, but I don't know. I've, I've, I, this is a band I'm just recently got into, and so. I recommend checking them out. So if you are familiar with them, awesome, and you're more of a hipster than I am. But either way, um, yeah, they, we'll be putting it on our list too. So the song is called Delicacy, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's got a nice throwback sound to it. Yeah. Something I would probably hear if I was walking into Dearborn Music and just strolling down the aisles. Yeah. Reminds me of television a little bit, if you're familiar with the band television. Yeah, they are... Uh, I have a guard band from New York from the late 70s. So. But yeah, that is my uh, lost track or fell through the tracks of the week. Yeah, we're going to, I don't know, we might, we might name that. So, um, <laughs> New change is coming soon. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so the album to discuss and go over and one that I have a, uh, a, a very good affinity for and, and there's a lot of stories behind this band, a lot of stories behind this, uh, necessarily the, the iconicness of the uh, the album cover too, and everything. There's so much to it, but we're talking about released on October second, nineteen eighty four. Let it be is the third album from the Replacements, and it's part of what I consider probably one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Uh, this starts this. It would start Tim, and it is just a album that Tim came out a year later, and then Please to Meet Me would be the trilogy part of it. They came out in 87 when they went to Warner Brothers. So, But this is a band that was still discovering their sound, trying to find their way into the into their own way. But the, the album cover has been spoofed a couple times. The The show, Always Sunny, did a uh, cool uh, cover. Uh, uh, they were on a magazine cover, and they did this uh, cover. And, and the cover is all four of them sitting on top of a house, kind of looking... The camera, and there's a story behind it too, where the the camera guy just kind of played around with a couple shots and everything. But um, this is, it, I mean, it is considered the groundbreaking album for this band, and to me, it is. It's got a lot of a lot of different, a lot of really, really good songs on it, 
and this is the first time they kind of slow it down a little bit. So um, this comes off Hootenanny, which came out in 1983. So, um, you know, Peter Buck, R.E.M.'s Peter Buck was on the, the on the first track, which is I Will Dare, and he does the little ukulele part, but they consider it even him, making him a producer for this album. But uh, it, there, I can't say enough about this album, but the reason why I chose this album is because First, this is a whole reason why I wanted to start the show. Talk about bands like this and their influence on music, and, and they got buried, I think, in the in in the eighties with the eighties sheen. And I know that we're Aaron and I are fans of the eighties sheen. You know, like the whole using trumpets for everything and and uh, adding that kind of like layer guitar and everything. And, and the the band would get in eventually into those shenanigans a little later. But this album is the first album that really comes it together. The band sounds like an appropriate band and this is Paul Westenberg establishing the sound a little bit and I, I brought in the book Trouble Boys and I, I talked about this a little bit earlier but the reason why I wanted to bring this up because there's, there's a part in here in the book that I thought was interesting that really um, they talked about Peter Buck's part of it too the, the guitar and all what have you and you know it just the reason why he was like just coming out there really was an excuse for him to go hang on the nightclubs in Minnesota and um <laughs> Minneapolis has a really good band scene. I mean, there's a lot of like, I guess they're they're, they're what Paul Westerberg was aiming for was to sound like Beggars Banquet, so the Rolling Stone album. But uh, it's, I mean, it's it, even with his first song, like the, the, the that that scene at the time in the '80s, whose bands like Husker Door, um, but them. Even like Soul Asylum, not a lot of people knew the Soul Asylum was from that period in that era, era that area. But uh, the song, I, I don't know. This is one of the best opening track songs. It's just, it's kind of like you know, you kind of move your shoulders a little bit, kind of like you get yourself going a little bit. But, um, but let it be is I think one of the, or what? Excuse me, the song. Excuse me, I should say both the whole album. See, I'm. I'm really pumped about this. So I'm trying to find <laughs> a way so to amplify. Yeah, yeah, you really are. Yeah, really amplify. Settle down, right? I will say it is Settle an down. absolutely fantastic opening track. Yeah, it's very it really is. Yeah, it gets the album great. going. One yeah. of the things I really admire the most about this album, there's no specific genre to it. They're really playing with yeah. with what works for them, and you know, discovering who they are as a band, and you can tell. And I think that's really cool. I really do enjoy the album too. Yeah, because I mean, you talk about yeah, you're right. Because even like the 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 they are coming off a sound like an area where they're kind of playing fast and, and they're still, there's a lot of influences here at play. Um, but the one thing about even like the song, like the song number two, which is, um, I'm trying to draw a blank here. Uh, wow. I'm drawing a blank here. I, um, because there's a lot of songs that get, like they get to, uh, um, you're my favorite. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, favorite thing. And like favorite thing is an, a, a, a it's kind of like just, if you hear that, once you hear the song too, it's just like that. Them starting off again, like that kind of like still figuring that punk sound they had from before, and <laughs> you can't see this audience, yeah. but <laughs> Roger is now closing my out. yeah, close my eyes, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, Tommy Simpson, by the way, is fifteen or sixteen at the on time of this. This is a, the time uh, the basis. Um, Bob Bob Simpson on other guitar, and then Chris Mars on drums. So, um, originally, the story behind how the replacements came together was that, so Bob Stinson was playing downstairs with his brother, who was trying to keep his kid brother out of trouble, 
and Chris Mars was playing drums here in their basement. Paul Westenberg was a janitor, just didn't, was just kind of like, eh, like just a, wasn't sure what he was going to do, but he was just kind of working his job. He heard him downstairs and he came downstairs and just started talking to him and eventually joined the band. And that's how the replacements came together. Among the shenanigans, but this is in 84, before really they started kind of touring a lot, but uh, they were on Twin Tone, which is the label in Minnesota, and there was a lot of people like that thought this band was going to be the next big thing. And uh, this is two years before their infamous SNL incident, which happened in 1986, where they were banned for life <laughs> until recently, where they destroyed a lot or destroyed the dressing room so bad to the point where Lauren Michaels banned them. And this is when Lauren Michaels came back in 1986 after regaining the tour or regaining the the uh, reins of the producer role. But uh, then even we're coming out here too. Even this song right here. Just oh, that rawness. This song, legit, I had a flashback of playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Oh, really? Yeah, totally reminds me of the music from that. <laughs> yeah. Legit flashbacked into that time period of my life. It was nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that I can say about the replacements is I finally realized that the Romantics and the Replacements were two different bands. I don't know why I thought the Romantics... And the replacements were the same band, but I'm glad that I finally was able to get over that confusion. Okay. And it was, yeah, oh yeah, it's real. Mm. It that that was happening, and uh, being able to listen over uh, to this album, I, I must have heard it um, since Wednesday of this week that we're recording. I've heard this album uh, about seven times. And you know, every listening gets better you and hear better new every and time. better. Yeah, yeah you, you definitely catch little nuances here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, I will dare, of course. We just we just talked about that. How it just gets off on the right foot. Mm-hmm. You just start it up, and um, you know, I gotta say that this album. Um, I know Roger was just talking about how um, in the book they were they were going for a mood that was similar to the. Uh, to the Rolling Stones album uh, Beggar's Banquet. But uh, I got to tell you, this is a, a lot better album than Beggar's Banquet. And I am <laughs> and I am a Stones fan, and I own that album. But uh, certainly it's not one of my favorite Rolling Stones albums. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if they were trying to make it sound like that, uh, they did a lot better. Let You know, the replacements did a whole lot better than the actual product of Beggar's Banquet from the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, too, about this album, too, and even they, they talked about this, too, in the book a little bit. They were trying to aim for one of the biggest bands at the time right now, U2, in terms of just kind of like an anthem. And, you know, even I, I Will Dare is like this. They're, as Paul would say here, uh, it, we're, we will dare to flop. We'll dare to do anything. And that was kind of really... And also, the, the other flip side to it in the book mentions, too, Ditch the Creep. I'll meet you later. I don't care. I will dare. And it's, and, and that's what I like about this. The, the, what you were saying earlier, Megan, preferencing about their, uh, there's a lot of different sounds going on with this too. And, and then the, the other one too, that's kind of like a song that, and when Tommy gets the tonsils out, which is kind of like a throwaway, to me, it's kind of a throwaway song. It's a minute 53. It kind of gets you through the bridge, but it gets to, I think, one of the most underrated songs of all time. And this is a song I heard when they 
when I found out the replacements were playing in Toronto at Riot Fest, I bought tickets that same day. This is hands down my favorite song by them. And this is a song that... I'll get to the second here. Here comes Jane, you know she's sporting the chain. Same hair revolution, same build evolution. I saw grown men cry this song when he was singing the song in Toronto. It was their first show since 91. Such a good song. Yeah. Love each other so... And this is the thing about the background about this band too. A little bit when they stopped touring '91, the last time they played together was in Chicago, and they just kind of like eh, this is that's it. But Bob Simpson was fired after Tim, and he didn't really make it to uh, "Please to Beat Me," and he unfortunately passed away in '92, '93, and it was a lot, a lot to do with the heartache of the band because he was kind of sort of the, the heart and soul. But Westenberg t- took direction; was the one that wrote the songs. Since it was uh, Bob Simpson was a kind of guitar guy on there, and they recently toured because the guitarist who played uh, replaced him, Skip, or um, sorry, Slim. I'm trying to think of his last name at the moment, but uh, they, the guitarist who replaced him, had a, a stroke, and they were raising money for uh, Slim, and they were able to. They made even made an LP called "Songs for Slim," and they were trying to get some money for him. But uh, yeah, Stinson was the heart of the band. His brother play bass and then of course Tommy went on to have a decent solo career who was also in Guns N' Roses if you guys may or may not know that but uh, yeah Tommy Simpson played in the second version of Guns N' Roses um, and he uh, some Doolap there we go that's the name I was thinking of but uh, yeah so this song is if this is wrote, wrote in 1984 so if you think about the times in 1984 you're talking about the the middle of the you know towards the tail end of the Cold War it's people are still Cross-dressing, those kind of those things, those those topics are not common in songs. I mean, of course, not going to be your typical Cindy Lauper pop song or anything like that. No, but, and the song still holds true today. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, hard. It's very yeah. current. And I don't think he knew what he was... I mean, did he know he was writing an anthem for this? No, I don't think so. But so well-written, it's still, even now, this it holds up even now. And, um, yeah, I love the way the piano was in this. And this is kind of like their... Again, for a period of time where you don't really see a and, and Aaron, I think you can agree with this too. You look at let's look at the music scene nineteen eighty four, okay? Let's look at some of the pop top bands. Where are the, some of the top bands in nineteen eighty four? The police. Okay. So you have U two, the police. Well, the the last part of uh, Hall of Notes before they kind of went away a little bit. You have Hugh Lewis in the news. You have a certain sound out there, and the replacements don't fit in any of that kind of uh, narrative at all. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's what made, though, um, that's what was so unique about music back in the 80s is that, um, you know, artists that you heard then, if they were to release anything now, um, you know, there's no telling that they would be huge success. That's, you know... Music is what makes music great. What makes bands like The Replacements so great is that the, in which, when people were hearing this, there were there were struggles that were going on that people could relate and listen to these songs. and And now, when you do want to hear music that's very um, 
too, very current to what's happening now, you you have to dig deeper. You have to dig deeper because it's not going to be placed out there for you to for the masses to understand. Um, you know, and when you had bands like U uh, two um, out there at that time, and you had um, Tears for Fears, um, Simple Minds, um, you were still still hearing from artists like. Eric Clapton or Phil Collins or Genesis. So there was just so much great music that I think what helped brew that uh, for 80s uh, music was just the fact that there it was just a change of of uh, of people, you know, from Cold War to uh, politics, the economy. Uh, wh- where were we going in the 90s? I mean, there was just so much doubt and you really don't hear it that much anymore. So that's that's why I think you know, ban, you know, when you go into not just certain years, but when you when you look at a decade's worth of music and what's out there, uh, there's just a change. Uh, you know, where where is everybody headed? You know, where's the sound heading? And what's what's really great about hearing this album is that it. it Certainly, this is something that can be, you know, you're predating maybe alt-rock at that time for the replacements that would eventually be grown out with acts like Soundgarden or Pearl Jam um, or even that Alice in Chains. Well, yeah, because even like this is kind of, to me, the beginning of college rock as we know it in terms of REM. You have Husker, do you have, you put this band in the category and this is, they were doing a cover of Kiss's Black Diamond, but... What's funny is I think you can sum it up really with this. One, their, I think that you can sum it up uh, their kind of feelings about everything too, and kind of like that anti-anthem with un- the song right here, "Unsatisfied," which is one of the. Mm. This song is I think t- it's track number seven on the album. I think it's one of my it's my second favorite song on here, and for a while it was one of those songs when I was in the mood I just play this and it kind of summed up everything. And um, but this song is really if you get a chance check this out, and of course we'll put the full album on our Spotify playlist, but the the one that I think in, it crystallizes the 80s in terms of technology at the point of its height, really, is this one right here, and um, it's the answer machine, and it's Paul's, you know, saying, what do I have to talk to a machine to get to the point of you? I'm trying to talk to you, and at the time, this, the winter of that year, he would start a relationship with a woman who actually lived in the local area, lived in Ann Arbor, and wouldn't be his first wife, and, um, you can kind of tell like his frustrations with just trying to get his point across to what the '80s technology of an answering machine was, and this <laughs> I think the song's been a little underrated, at least in my opinion. Is even like this is the last track of the album, mm-hmm. and usually the last tracks of the album it, it, at a period of time were kind of like eh, you know. But this that's pretty solid for the last track, yeah. Sure. Yeah, how can you say goodnight to an answering machine, Paul? I don't. There he is. See, but so I'm over here. I'm looking at like the top hundred hits from 1984. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, cool. I was just curious. Lay it on me, Megan. And, uh, yeah, there's very little that could possibly even be considered, like, you know, alternative-type music. I mean, there is the Prince and the Revolution. Uh, the Cars made the list. I think the Cars might be the closest. Eh, and that's that's pretty low. Let me guess. Was, that, was, it, was, it, was it Drive? Drive's on there, and you yes. might think is on there, too. Yeah. You might think I really like that song. Yeah, I do like that um, song. You know, like, Cindy Lauper pretty much had just come on the scene as long uh, as well as, like, you know, Madonna finally had Borderline out. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's a really kind of a 
weird transitional time period. <laughs> I, I would I consider we could probably do an entire show based off 1984 because mm. this 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 song right here by the Cars is one of my that's one of my favorite songs of all time. But yeah, this came out. Um, this is off their third. This is the third single off that album. But continue. Yeah, this is a beautiful. Song. I didn't even yeah. realize this was the Cars. Yeah, it's off uh, Heartbeat City. Okay, yeah, that's a good song. But uh, there was there, there was any other highlights of that. Oh, uh, there's a little quiet riot. There's Chorus Hall and Oles, <laughs> Billy Joel had a call a few of them. You know, this is like Uptown Girl, Innocent Man. You know, it's just Thriller. Wow, that was 1984. Okay. I thought it was 83. Thriller was 83, but then well, yeah, it was on the list for 84. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Carried over. Yeah, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, so, it's, the, it's just it's interesting. Police this, is on here. Oh yeah, of course. Finger eighty five. But. Yeah, that that's sacred. Yeah, that's synchronicity. Synchronicity came out in eighty four. John Cougar when he's still a cougar. Uh, John <laughs> All right, I'm not. Yeah, you know before what? before that <laughs> before he just became Mellencamp. Right. It I'm, was Johnny Cougar. I'm sorry. I don't like. I. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, he he's a cool dude, but his music is terrible. And I'm sorry for anybody <laughs> who listens out there. You know, like John Cougar Mellencamp. Congratulations. I don't care that you do. That's cool, but I don't. I'm sorry. I, I just John Mellon. Well, I mean, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, it's, you are entitled to your opinion. It's one of those. I mean, it's just because his songs are been overplayed. It's a classic rock. I, here, here's a question for you, classic rock people. Yeah, exactly. Is there? Can we not? Can we play other other than those two damn? Can we play some other than Pink Houses and Jack Diane, please? Because his other stuff is not bad. It's pretty good. But can you, for the love of all things holy, can you play another song that's not those two songs? Please! I really I'd do. I'd love to entice me with that. Please, for the love of God! I do hate it when the classic rock stations, Sorry. they circle around the same three or four tunes when, like, their genre, or not their genre, their, um, their repertoire is so, like, it's massive. Pick some other stuff, you know? Enlighten the listening audience, you know? It, it, Shit. Sometimes you'll get that like two for Tuesdays. Yeah. You know? Sometimes like that secondary track, it's it's great, and you get a little bit of variety. But other than that, it just it kind of makes me want to bang my head against the wall. And Aaron, we I know we we're both in the business, and I get how the whole ratings work, and I know I understand how they have to play the the certain songs that test well. I get that. There's a science to why there is. Okay, I get it. I understand it. But I'm sure, I am sure as you know what that there's people out there. Excuse me. They would love to hear. Another variety of songs from John Cougar, John Cougar Mellencamp. Well, first, Led Zeppelin. He's he's not Johnny Cougar anymore. Or John Mellencamp. He's John so. Mellencamp. Yeah, let's let us let us do but that. But in the classic rock days, but in the classic rock days, yes, John he Cougar. was John Cougar Mellencamp. But what I will say is that you know we can scream until we're blue in the face when it comes to this is true. You know why programmers play these maybe three to five songs all the time. And that, you would need to ask a programmer. That would be the ultimate question to a programmer. And then a programmer would probably give you some snide-ass remark uh, saying, you know, well, that's just how it is. Yeah, maybe, but this is also why people are switching to streaming services instead of listening to the radio. That is true. But I will say that um, there is a great, you know, there's a great way of seeing how like I listen to satellite radio, you know, besides my, my streaming service, I have satellite radio. And when it comes to satellite radio, sure, they do play a lot of songs and they have tons of stations that 
dive well into uh, an artist's catalog. Mm. But I still will hear from time to time, I'll hear Jack and Diane and Pink Houses. Every once in a while, sure. You know, because that's what people relate to. Mm. It either reminds them when they were making out in the car for the first time or when they had their first vanilla ice cream uh, at the drive-in. They all relate to those songs. So... You know, it's all formulas, it's all, you know, stats, it's all, you know, this song, you know, when they come up with these reasonings on why these songs will play, you know, I'm sure it's, well, it's sold over 5 million copies, so this is always going to get played because people will always remember it, and that's who they think of when they hear John Mellencamp as they think of Jack and Diane. Yeah, no, and I no, I get it. I Look, for the radio side of things, I get it. I do. I honestly get it. And, I, you know, I'm not going to end the show. We'll get back to replacements in a second. But I, I understand how it works. I really do. And it's it's testing. There's there's science behind everything they do with it. But at the same time, I think that you look at the definition of insanity, doing repeating itself over and over again, respecting the same result. And Radio Wonder... Expecting a different result. Expecting a different result. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. That's I'm insane for saying the way I just said it. But um, it's... I think if radio had to look at why they're struggling a little bit, there could be a reason why. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, ding, 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 ding. But what do I know? Anyways. <laughs> but, uh, no, the end, the end, the end, really, the, the whole replacements, uh, my, uh, my love festival replacements, essentially, if you've not checked this out, it is, and if you have, great. It's just, to me, it's one of the, it's, Part of a th- trilogy, uh, I would listen to this in order, listen to Tim, which came out the year later, 1985, before they went to Warner Brothers, or Sire Records, excuse me, which is kind of like their um, kind of like their indie act label, the Warner Brothers of the 80s. And the, the tale of a book I would recommend to, and I'll put a link for it, is Trouble Boys, The True Story of the Replacements by Bob Muir. Really good book, great bio, and it goes into the, what really essentially was the downfall of the band. If it was the... It was, it was funny is that uh, in the book, Paul Osterberg has always kind of like compared himself to REM because REM and then were contemporaries, contemporaries, and they were friends too. REM did all the party and everything, but they were able to perform on stage. The replacements mm-hmm. couldn't do that, and that was gotta handle your high, man. Exactly, and that's <laughs> uh, that, that's unfortunate what they could not do. But uh, so yeah, check out check out that album. We'll put it on a Spotify list, and, and you know that will do it for episode three. You can find this episode. And prior episodes on many podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, Stitchler, Podcast Addict. There's so many of them out there. You can find it. And don't forget to, just like I said, check out our Spotify playlist. Give us some feedback. Some comments would be great. We would really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next time. We'll give us another two weeks. And by then, it will be the end of May. Is that that time in right? Yeah, end of May. And it'll be the beginning of summer. There's going to be some summer tracks. Some I'm sure Aaron will bust out the Will Smith, perhaps. I don't know. Um, I don't know what your summer tracks are, Aaron. But They're uh, a lot older than Will Smith. Yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I don't know why I thought Will Smith. No, I, I know why I thought Will Smith. The one with the easy go-to. Megan, I don't know what your <laughs> summer tracks would start off with. But uh, plenty to get to. We appreciate your time listening to us on this latest edition of Counter Tracks. Until then. Thanks for listening. Later.